was the kid at sleepaway camp that was homesick within the first few hours of arrival. I loved my first summer of camping, but something changed between that first and that second summer. And that week-long adventure at Camp Everwood, we'll call it, is one that I still remember distinctly because of how much I hated it. The sleeping bag on the wooden bunk in the dark cabin was not my bed, in my room, in my house. The food wasn't any good, and this camp had a practice of dumping all of the wasted food on everyone's plate into a common tub in the center of each table. And the table with the most food waste after each meal lost. What we lost, I'm not sure, but I do remember the terror of not being able to finish what was on my plate with that nervous, homesick stomach, therefore being the reason that my table lost. Speaking of lost, the traditions were lost on me. I didn't understand any of them, neither their point nor their value. One of them was called the Polar Gator Swim, where very early in the morning, usually midweek, just as the sun was beginning to rise, a marching band would come blaring into the cabin as we campers slept, and we had to very quickly put on our bathing suits and march down to the lake and jump in. This was Michigan, so the water was always cold. My husband has suggested to me more than once that this camping experience, at least as I describe it, especially for a 10-year-old, was neither good nor appropriate. So it doesn't matter if some kids thought it was fun. The whole thing probably should have been shut down. But what I remember most, and I imagine this is true for the exceedingly homesick kids, whether you're at a good camp or a not-so-good camp, What I remember most is the utter lack of control, the powerlessness. I remember standing on the playground, staring into the distance at the measly fence that marked out the camp property, and staring at that fence, I wondered if I could make a run for it while no one was looking. Could I make it to that gas station that we had stopped at before we found the camp? How, just how far away was that? There, I could ask for a phone, which I wasn't allowed to use at camp, and call my parents and get out of this terrible place. Well, I never made a run for it, tempted as I was, but I did send a lot of letters home that began with words made of giant capital letters, please rescue me. I share this story because it is usually the first one that comes to mind when I reach for an experience that could give me even a small fraction of an understanding of exile. And I know, summer camp, I was 10 years old, it's a limited perspective. But in her commentary on this passage, the Reverend Cynthia Jarvis contends that Isaiah's word of comfort 
is only heard by exiles who know that they are exiles. The sheer relief is only experienced by those who can name their captivity accurately. As we gather on this second Sunday of Advent, the day we light the candle for peace, we may be more aware than usual of those things that hold us captive. In the beginning of the pandemic, I recall hearing the observation that this would be an experience that forever changed how we read and heard biblical texts about exile. And now, about eight months into it, it is clear to me that for many, this is probably true. I was in a meeting just this past week where the typical check-in became a tour of COVID-19 and the grip that it had on even our little group, touching those that we love and affecting virtually every aspect of our lives. The prophet described the exile of his people as wilderness territory, leaving it to our imaginations to describe all that wilderness implies. The feeling of being untethered, perhaps, the loss of security, the pain of separation, the loss of identity, the need to be vigilant, always on the defensive. Though we ought to be awfully careful in claiming too much similarity, wilderness is an experience that we do understand with an added depth this season. Today, as we meet via the screen in a season where we especially crave closeness, it might look like longing, longing for a return to normal, at least the normal that meant connection, freedom of movement, ease of communication. Today, as we suffer with worry for ourselves and for those people in our lives that are especially high risk, and even the anticipatory grief that sometimes comes with that worry, it might look like anger directed at those who aren't doing their part to choke this virus. Anger at those we blame for this exile. Today, as we hold our breath, wondering if our places of work or learning or leisure are about to shut down again, it might look like an exacerbation of the longing, the anger, the sense of insecurity and isolation. And today, as we meet these old and familiar words from Isaiah, it might look like a glimmer of hope. In the middle of wilderness, it is difficult, if not impossible, to stop that reel of negative images from playing in your mind's eye. But the other images, the images of life on the other side, can bring a balance that saves your weary soul. I once heard grief, I once heard despair described as grief when there is no hope of tomorrow being any better. 
And I don't know if the community Isaiah spoke to in chapter 40 had come to despair. But if they had come to that despair, the prophet met that despair with a promise and an image to go with it, a moving image of life on the other side of their captivity. He announced that that captivity would not be the end of their story. You have received double for all your sins, so comfort, comfort. Assuming that the people are the audience for the coming instructions, just as they are for those tender words, comfort, comfort, there is also a call in this poetry. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prepare the way of the Lord. A highway. We often think of Advent as a time for slowing down. But in our context, a highway denotes speed, efficiency, the pursuit of a destination without a lot of lingering or detours. In Isaiah's time, it must have been similarly efficient. It is made straight by dramatic shifts in the landscape where everything becomes smooth. The valleys are raised up and the mountains and hills are brought down low. There's no more taking the long way around. So this text, with all of its solace, also carries with it a real urgency. The Lord is coming, and we ought to hasten the Lord's arrival. So what does that look like today? How do we build a highway for our God A favorite book in my house right now is one called, It Takes Many Kinds of Trucks to Build a Road, and with lots of pictures that make my toddler's heart sing, the book describes the process of building a big road, all of the different trucks that are involved, each with its own job, its own specialty. For the past two weeks, we have read this book minimally five times a day, so I have become quite familiar with what it takes to build a road, and I've learned a lot about trucks. Because the addressee of these instructions in Isaiah is a community, I imagine that the building of that highway is a community affair, much like it is in my son's picture book. What I do to build that road is going to look different from what you do. We have to discern for ourselves what we are called to do. How we are called to hasten the Lord's coming in this season where we especially need it. I'm also struck by that imagery of leveling the land. It indicates that preparing the way has just as much to do with removing obstacles as with making additions. The answer isn't always to take on something new. Popular writer and researcher Brene Brown interviewed Sonia Renee Taylor a few months ago on her podcast. And in that interview, Taylor described her image of human beings as something like acorns. All acorns begin with the same potential to grow into an oak tree. 
Natural intelligence intends that every living thing become the highest form of itself and designs us accordingly. And the only difference between the acorn that stays an acorn and the acorn that becomes an oak tree is the environment. Some environments are conducive to growth, others are not. Growth depends in large part on removing those obstructions that impede growth. Well, God's growth certainly isn't as dependent on environment as we are. But this text does suggest that we have an active role to play. Our Advent waiting doesn't mean sitting around idly, but making the way as we wait. And making the way perhaps means making room. What would impede your capacity for receiving the unfathomable news of Christ's incarnation this Christmas? What obstructions are in the way of hearing and really receiving that news with its risk of being changed by it? The news that we prepare to receive, the news that Isaiah gives us as a preview on this day of Advent peace, is news that would have landed solidly with the traumatized Hebrew people. All people are grass, the prophet says. They wither and they fade. That might not seem like a comforting word immediately, but it's a word that honors their experience. It names it, and it doesn't try to explain it away. For people who had experienced all that the Hebrew people had experienced during their captivity, no good word, no good news would have been heard that didn't have its basis in reality. The people are grass. And the word of our God will stand forever. God is here. Tyler Mayfield is a professor of the Hebrew scriptures at Louisville Theological Seminary. And in his new book on Isaiah, he translates the phrase, will stand forever, as arises and grows forever. The word of our God arises and grows forever. Standing strong through the strong winds that blow where they will is true of the word of God. But the word of God is more dynamic than that. It moves, it grows, it evolves. At the time of Isaiah's writing, the eternal word of our God had not yet become flesh in the person of Jesus. But it would, and it is the truth that we prepare to receive anew at Christmas. God is here, right here, in the midst of all of this. 
So how do we build the highway? How do we build the highway in this year of years that will hasten the arrival of that news? Here is your God. He will feed and gather and carry you. He will lead the mother sheep. Thanks be to God. Amen.